0: Well, as I said to the children earlier, we're looking again this morning at the life of Joseph. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the last chapter of the book of Genesis. Genesis and chapter 50. Genesis, chapter 50. Genesis, the first book of the Bible. The final chapter of the book and the final chapter of Joseph's life. Genesis chapter 50 beginning to read at verse 15 5. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead they said what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him. So they sent word to Joseph saying your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph stayed in Egypt along with all his father's family, he lived a hundred and ten years and saw the third generation of Ephraim's children. Also the children of Machir son of Manasseh were placed at birth on Joseph's knees. Then Joseph said to his brothers I'm about to die but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac Isaac and jacob and joseph made the sons of israel swear an oath and said god will surely come to your aid and then you must carry my bones up from this place so joseph died at the age of 110 and after they embalmed him he was placed in a coffin in egypt please keep the scriptures open there Now, if you were to go to America today, you might well hear about a very successful businessman who recently passed away by the name of Alan Emery. And Alan Emery was the president of the Boston Wool Trade and later the National Wool Trade Association. But he was also a very committed Christian and he was the chair of the board for the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association and himself also a real home evangelist. In fact, he and his wife opened their home to 100 young people a week for the Bible club that they hosted. Think of that. Now, if you were to ask Alan, what is the secret of his success? He would say to you without doubt, it was the example of my father. Often, he said, in business or in life, I would say, what would daddy do? His father was a good and upright man who led by showing how to live the Christian life. Once, Alan recalled, my dad lost a pair of fine German binoculars. He collected insurance only to find the binoculars a year later. Immediately, he sent a check to the company and received a letter back stating that this seldom occurred and that they were encouraged. It was a small thing, but children never forget examples lived before them. <laughs> that was the secret of Alan Emery's life and success his father's good example and dear friends the power of a good example is immeasurable isn't it Benjamin Franklin once said a good example is the best sermon and Albert Schweitzer missionary and theologian said example is not the main thing in influencing others it's the only thing. And he's probably right. You know, the Bible calls us to follow good examples. Proverbs 2, verse 20, tells us to walk in the ways of good men. Not because that will save us from our sins, because it won't. Only the blood of Jesus shed on the cross can pay for our sins. And we must trust in Jesus' finished work on the cross for our salvation alone. But because one of the ways we grow when we have become a Christian is. By following the examples of those who've walked well before us. Paul said to the Philippians, you remember this from a couple of weeks ago, Philippians 4 9, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. So when we get saved, this is how we grow by following good examples and today I want you to see one of the greatest examples for all of us and that is the example of Joseph the great man of God from the beginning of the Bible the book of Genesis do you know there's not a bad word spoken about Joseph in the Bible sometimes you hear people say that Joseph bragged to his brothers about love being loved by his father most and and uh, showing off his coat the Bible never says that that's just what others have read into the Bible. But The Bible never says a single word against Joseph. He was a godly man. It doesn't mean that he was sinless, but he was blameless as far as the Lord was concerned. And he was a beautiful picture in, in history of the Lord Jesus Christ, what we call a type. So this morning, I want us to see, for our our help to live the Christian life, four things from Joseph's example, especially taken from this, his last hours in his life. First of all, I want you to see his tenderness in verses 13 to 21. Uh, And this really shows us how Joseph was such a tender-hearted man. You know, Joseph was even tender with his enemies. It's interesting, Joseph had many enemies and people who let him down. And he had the opportunity and the power to get even with them. We think of Potiphar's wife who told the lies about him. We think of the butler who forgot him when he said he'd remember him when he came out of prison. And Joseph never, we're told, got even with them. He left that in the hands of God. But he was tender when he had the power to destroy And we see that especially with his brothers uh, when his father, Jacob, had died. You'll read verse 15, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? They were worried that Joseph had only been sparing them because their father, Jacob, was still alive. He'd been an old man who'd lived to 147 years old, a staggering age uh, by today's standard. But uh, when he died, the brothers were trembling that Joseph was now going to get even with them. This is what Esau had said uh, with Jacob, their father. You remember when Esau was angry against Jacob, he said, when my father Isaac is dead, then I'll get him. And They thought Joseph was going to be the same. And so what they did was they sent a messenger to Joseph. Now, they couldn't go themselves. Joseph was the second to Pharaoh. He probably had a protocol for entering his presence. And so they sent a messenger to him. And it says in verse 16, they sent word to Joseph saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly now please forgive the sins of the servants of the god of your father they sent a message to joseph asking for his forgiveness they asked it in their father's name whether jacob actually had known about this or not is doubtful but uh, it's, it's what they were doing to get to Joseph. They wanted his forgiveness. And they admitted that they had done wrong and they had done sin. And I don't know if you noticed that, but four times in that little passage, twice they said they'd done wrongs to him. And twice they said the word sin. And once they said they'd done so badly That's quite an admission, isn't it? And the King James is even stronger. The King James version uh, of the uh, scriptures uses the word trespass, sin and evil. They said, we've done evil against you. Not many people have the courage to say I've done evil in my life and admit it. But these men realized what they had done to Joseph was wrong and their consciences were troubled uh, what they had done and they were afraid that Joseph was going to get even with them. Well, when the message came to Joseph, we read in verse 17, Joseph wept. Reminds me of another person. It says that about in the Bible, John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. And they were both weeping over the effects of sin. But Joseph wept because he realized his brothers hadn't yet really received or believed in the forgiveness that he had already given them. He had already said to them he'd forgiven them and he had already been reconciled to them but they hadn't yet fully received that forgiveness. And so He called them to himself. He sent uh, an ambassador to bring them to him. And it says in verse 18, his brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. You remember that was one of the dreams that Joseph had back in chapter 37. That all his brothers would bow down before him. And it happened a number of times in the life of Joseph. This is the last time. But they came and they said, we are your slaves. They said. You see, they they felt they had to earn it from Joseph. They couldn't receive it as a gift, so they said, we are your slaves. But here, look at the tenderness of Joseph in verse 19. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? He's saying, it's not for me to judge you and take away your life like you fear of me. That's God's power and provision to do that. I'm not going to judge you. And he said, if you're basically saying here, if you're right with God, then you're right with me. What an amazing, gracious way that is. Verse 20, we'll come back to in a moment because there's so much there. I don't want to miss it. Verse 21, he said, so then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. And all this speaks of his tenderness, even to those who had been his enemies, his brothers. And what an example that is for us to forgive those who sin against us when they ask for it. You know, the Lord Jesus himself said this in Luke chapter 17. He said, if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. It's not easy to forgive others, is it? But Joseph gives us an example that's hard to turn down because he forgave so much. And I doubt many of us have had that much done to us that he had done to him by those who were his brothers. I wonder if there's someone you need to forgive today. If there is, then look at Joseph's example and learn and copy how he did it. But can I also say this? Sometimes we need to follow Joseph's example and receive forgiveness as well. Because Joseph wanted to give forgiveness, but his brothers were finding it hard to receive. And you know what? Sometimes that can be true for us with the Lord as well. Sometimes we find it hard to believe that God really can and will forgive us the things we've done wrong. Warren Wisby in his commentary on Genesis said we who read this account centuries later want to say men what's the problem didn't Joseph forgive you kiss you weep over you and give you every evidence of his love didn't he explain that God had overruled for good all the evil that you'd done to him didn't Joseph make every provision to bring you to Egypt and take care of you then why are you alarmed the answer is simple. They didn't believe their brother. The gracious way he spoke to them. And the loving way he treated them. Made no impact on their hearts. But Joseph's brothers. Are no different from some professed Christians today. Who are constantly worrying about God's judgment. And whether or not he's really forgiven them. And made them his children. Isn't that a lesson we all need to learn? Joseph forgave his brothers and the lord jesus offers us forgiveness too and if we've come to the lord and put our trust in the lord jesus christ for salvation we have that full forgiveness full and free on the basis of his death on the cross micah chapter 7 Verse 19, a beautiful verse at the end of the book of Micah. It says, you will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all, listen to that word, all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. I like what Corrie ten Boom said. She said, when God hurls all our iniquities into the depths of the sea, he then puts up a sign saying, no fishing. <laughs> But sometimes we want to, don't we? And we need to be like Joseph's example here in his tenderness, in giving forgiveness and receiving it from the gracious hand of God. Secondly, we see his example here in his testimony. I want to come back to that verse 20 that I spoke about just a moment ago because this is such a key life to the verse to the story of Joseph. Joseph said to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives joseph was able to forgive his brothers because he looked at the li- looked at life through what i'm going to call 5020 vision now you've heard of 2020 vision joseph had genesis 5020 vision he believed god was in sovereign control over all the things that happened in life and so he was able to say to them, yes, you did wrong. He wasn't, wasn't passing that. He wasn't saying that they didn't do wrong and didn't have wrong attitudes. He said, you intended to harm me. Yes, you are guilty. But, look at this beautiful blood. But God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done. The saving of many lives. He believed in God's sovereign control. Even over what they had done to him. That God had a plan to use it. To bring about the salvation of not only the people of Egypt. But the people of the surrounding nations. So much so that they gave him a title in Hebrew. Which means the savior of the world. I told you it was a picture of Jesus didn't I? But he saw that what had happened had been God's sovereignty to allow. God hadn't caused it, but God had allowed it. And he had allowed it for good. You know, long before Paul ever wrote Romans 8, 28, which we read earlier on with the children, that all things work together for the good of those who love him. And I want to underline that last bit. It's not just for everyone out there in the world. It's for those who love him, who know the Lord. Long before Paul ever said long... uh, all things work together for the good of those who love him Joseph said God meant what you did for evil to be turned around for good and he had a great example for us in the testimony of seeing life through the providence of God you know that's something we need to take on board that's an example we need to take because life is tough isn't it you know, 1945, I think it was after World War II came to an end, they had a general election in this country. And Winston Churchill, who had led the nation to victory and led them through all those difficult years of the war, he lost the election. <laughs> he couldn't believe it. He lost the election. He wanted to go on and build for peace and stuff. But they didn't want him to be the prime minister, and he was crushed. His wife, Clemmie, said to him, you know, dear... Maybe it's a blessing in disguise. And Churchill, who was sometimes a little bit sharp, turned around and snapped. He said, well, if it's a blessing, it's very well disguised. (laughs) And you know, sometimes life does have things that are very well disguised, aren't they? But they are actually God's blessings that we will see in hindsight. And I want you to know what Joseph said here, listen carefully, was not a cliché. There are cliché Christians who chuck things out, platitudes. But this and Romans 8.28 are not clichés and they're not platitudes. They're Bible facts. God is in sovereign control. And he will use all things, even bad things, to bring about his good. Sometimes it's, a, it's not for us to see in life. Sometimes it is. I got a testimony here of a a member of the Gideon staff who was called to uh, give out Bibles in a school one occasion. And uh, they had to travel through London, paid the congestion charge, battled through the traffic to get there in time for the nine o'clock assembly in the morning, only to find that the teachers said, sorry, the assembly's been put back an hour because we're having an emergency meeting. He said, can you wait? And the Gideon there with his Bibles. I've just paid the congestion charge. I've just battled through the traffic. He said, I'll wait. He said, said, "I'll, I'll, I'll sit in the waiting room. Well, he said, it's not Gideon policy when they go in to preach to the teachers. But he said, in this occasion, he said, while I was in the waiting room, waiting, there were three staff members who were there who were there to cover for people who were sick. They weren't regular members of the staff of the school but they were people who had been brought in as substitute teachers. And they asked him in the waiting room while they were waiting as well, what are you here for? So he said, I told him, I'm here to give out Bibles. And one of them said, well, what do you think of Bible, why do you think the Bible is relevant today? He said, I wasn't preaching, I was just answering their questions. He said, do you know what? At the end, every one of them of those three said can I have a Bible and they took a Bible. The sovereignty of God over the situation he could see something very frustrating and difficult but God had a plan in it and it worked for good we don't always see that but it is something that the book of Genesis teaches us there's a, a perspective on life that Joseph had that you and I need to learn to develop and it's Putting our trust in God when things don't make sense. I might have told you this story before. Forgive me if I have. But years ago, I read a little book by the Protestant Truth Society. And uh, contained an amazing story about the martyrs during the reign of Queen Mary, when Bloody Mary was on the throne and she was burning the, the Protestants at the stake. And this man, uh, I think his name was Bernard Gilpin, he was up in the north, and he was a man who was known as the Romans 8 man. That was his nickname, because he was always saying this very truth. He said, All things work together for the good. He said, Trust God. All things are. Anyway. Queen Mary wanted to get rid of him and so he was being marched down to London to be burnt at the stake. And on his way down, he had an accident and he broke his leg. And walking was really painful and he really slowed him down. And then all the soldiers who were with him said, Romans eight twenty-eight, eh? all working together for good, is it? Well, when they got to London, they found that Queen Mary had died the day before. And he was no longer to be burned. (laughs) He said all things work together for the good. Didn't understand it at the time. And what a lot of pain limping along on a broken leg all those miles. But God was in charge. And he knew. And uh, this is the way we are to see life. You know dear friends. This is something we're all very good at pointing out to others. When something goes wrong we say to others. All things work together for good. And we want to build the faith of others. I need this for me, and I need to be reminded of this, and you need to be reminded of this for you when it's a difficult time for you. If you're a believer who's going through a difficult time right now, take on board the example of Joseph. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. We may not see immediately or even uh, for a long time until we get to heaven how it will work out, but God has a plan for what is right and good and he can use our sufferings in his sovereignty the greatest example of that of course is the death of the lord jesus on the cross isn't it where he was put into the hands of wicked men who nailed him to the cross as Peter said on the day of pentecost but god did it so that we could be saved third example of joseph is his triumph and we see this in verse 22 to 23 because it says joseph stayed in egypt along with all his father's family he lived 110 years and saw the third generation of Ephraim's children. Also, the children of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were placed at birth on Joseph's knees. Now, this may not seem uh, much to you as a mark of triumph. But what I see here at the end of Joseph's life is God's crowning blessings on him in his old age and how he had triumphed over adversity. And here he was at the end of his life as an old man in Egypt. This is now about 60 years after Joseph, after Jacob had died. And Joseph had been in Egypt since he was 17 years old. You realize that means he was in Egypt 93 years. That's older than Willie Hill. <laughs> and that's an amazing thing, isn't it? And God brought him through victoriously uh, at that time, as we were trying to teach the children. He was an overcomer over all that adversity. Now you say, well John, where do you see the the triumph in this? Well, there are things that would have meant something to the people of the day more than they mean to us today. There's two things, his great age and his grandchildren. His great age is that he lived to 110 years old. We're told the same thing in verse 26. It's emphasized he lived to 110. Now, this is a fascinating thing because uh, according to Derek Kidner's little commentary on uh, Genesis, uh, an Egyptologist has researched papers and found no less than 27 accounts where 110 years old, is said to be the year of dying with God's favour. And so the people in the day would have read that and said, God was with Joseph (laughs) and he ended victoriously. His great age, I mean, his birthday cake would have collapsed under the weight of all the candles, wouldn't it? But uh, it was a significant thing in those days and it was a mark of his triumph over all that he'd been through. And those grandchildren, we're told not only he saw his children, Ephraim and Manasseh, the two boys who were born to him, but their children and their grandchildren as well. To uh, the age of um, uh, the children of Macca at the end there. Now Macca is a lovely person to take note of for your Bible reading. Comes up a few other times. And he was one of the favorite grandsons of Joseph. And uh, the name Macca must have really touched Joseph when Manasseh called him that. Because the name means sold. It was a reminder of the story of Joseph. He was sold. A man who was sold. Like he was sold as a slave. And Macca receives many blessings in the book of Joshua and so on. And his children are placed on Joseph's knees. Which if you read earlier in Genesis. Well, that's what happened with Rachel when she had the children of Belha put on her knees. It was to say these are my children now. Uh, she had adopted these children and they were hers. And these children became Joseph's grandchildren in the Bible, and great grandchildren were a mark of God's blessing. Psalm 128, verse 6, and so on. And so, what we see here is a collective picture of Joseph's triumph over all his adversity. I'm not not a football fan, but I read this book once about amazing things that happened in football. In 1999, uh, the UEFA Cup uh, Champions League, the final was Manchester United against Bayern Munich. And it got to the full 90 minutes and Bayern Munich were in a lead of 1-0. Now, there was three minutes stoppage time that the referee gave at the end of the match. And you know what? In those three minutes, Manchester United scored two goals. (laughs) And at the end, they snatched victory from the jaws of defeat. Do you know what the devil must have thought when he saw Joseph going down to Egypt, sold? Victory. I've won. I've wiped out Joseph's favourite son. This is going to mess up the plan that God has for the Jewish people. But oh no, God was going to snatch victory from the jaws of defeat and joseph triumphed over all that adversity i read this morning stand up stand up for jesus the strife will not be long this day the noise of battle the next the victor's song to him that overcometh a crown of life shall be he with the king of glory shall reign eternally be encouraged brothers and sisters By Joseph's example, his triumph over adversity, let that inspire you to go on faithfully with the Lord and see how God works things in your life. Finally, we see here his trust. And uh, his trust is in God's plan for the future. The last part of Joseph's story is the best for me. Verse 24, then Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die but god will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to abraham isaac and jacob and joseph made the sons of israel swear an oath and said god will surely come to your aid and then you must carry my bones up from this place so Joseph died at the end of, age of 110, and after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. You know, back in the end of the 1890s, there was a man by the name of Theodor Herzl. He was a Jewish man who was a journalist in Europe. And Theodor Herzl saw firsthand the persecution of the Jewish people in Europe. And he said, is find the Jewish people living out here in what we call the diaspora, the lands outside of of Israel. But Israel needs her own homeland to be safe. And so he wrote a book uh, called The Jewish State. And I think it was 1897, he held the first uh, Zionist conference. And 193 people came to Switzerland for the first Zionist conference where he was trying to raise support for a Jewish homeland. And he wanted them to be able to get back the land of Israel because he knew that was the land God had promised to the people. Now, do you know what? He even went to see the Sultan of Turkey because it was under the Ottoman Empire at that time. And said, if we can raise 10 million pounds, can we buy it? off you. And it was agreed that it would be sold, but they could never raise the money in time. Well sadly, in nineteen oh four Theodore Herzl died and he never got to see the Jewish homeland established. But God in his sovereignty had plans to bring it about. World War One shifted the mandate from the Turks to the British and the Balfour Declaration opened the way for the Jewish people to be able to go back to the land. World War II made the Jewish people even more determined to go back to the land after the persecution they had. And so the door was open in 1948 as the UN uh, officially recognized the land of Israel again. And the promised land was given back to the people God originally gave it to. And you know what happened in 1949? August the 17th they went and got the bones of Theodore Herzl they put them on a plane and they flew them back to the land of Israel and they buried his bones in the promised land that he believed would one day be to the Jewish people. Now that's a story from modern history but I could be telling you the story of Joseph. Because when Joseph was at the end of his life, he said to his people, now look, God has provided for you here in Egypt, and it's a wonderful land for you. You've got Goshen, where it's great for your flocks, and there's plenty of space. But this isn't the land God has given you. God gave by covenant to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that's the first time all three are put together, uh, because now Jacob has just died. And he said, God's covenant promise is to give you that land. And by the way, I, I just this is passing. Joseph took those land promises literally. He didn't spiritualize them like some Christians do today. He said that literal land is the literal land God has literally given to the Jewish people. And it is to this day. But the point is, he said this. I know because of that, God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to that land as he promised and he said and when you do i want you to take my coffin with you take me but now it's amazing because the jewish people don't normally use coffins in bible times you remember like the lord jesus he was buried in the tomb there wasn't a coffin when lazarus came out the grave there was no coffin when elisha's body was put in the grave and the man uh, was put in next to him you remember that story in the book of Two? there was no coffin jewish people don't normally use coffins but they made a coffin for joseph when he died and it's a beautiful word. It's the word Aaron in Hebrew. It's the word for the ark. The ark of the covenant. An ark is a treasure chest. And inside they had the treasured bones of Joseph. And he said, when I, when I die, he said, when you get called back home and God opens the way for you to go home, take my bones with you. And you know what? That's exactly what happened. Uh, in the book of Exodus, when the time came for the uh, children of Israel to go back and God visited. Remember, Pharaoh uh, was defeated and all those plagues. And then the children of Israel were told, go, leave the land of Egypt. All the children of Israel were given riches by the Egyptians and were told, go, 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 take our riches and go. And they all went to the full. But one man got the greatest riches of all he didn't want the riches of egypt he forsook all the riches of egypt because he saw him who was invisible and he went and he got a box of bones and moses bought the box of bones of joseph's body back to the land of israel And it brought it to the place that Shechem uh, is called Shechem uh, in the Bible, which uh, Jacob had given to Joseph many years before. Joseph had trust that God was going to bring the people out of that land to their land. And I want to say what a great example that is for us as well. You know, those of us who are Christians, I want to tell you this with absolute certainty. This world is not our home. It's a lovely home in some places. And we're very blessed to live here in Bath. And many of us have got lovely homes. It's a great blessing. But like the old song says, this isn't my home. I'm just a passing through. Mm -hmm. My home is another place. And one day, just as Joseph said, the Lord himself is going to visit us. For the Lord himself will come down, it says in 1 Thessalonians 4, And he will take up those who are his own and take them back to our heavenly homeland, the promised land of heaven. And that same hope that Joseph had is ours as well. We need to make sure we keep our eyes on the true promised land and make sure we're people with that heavenly vision too. Even after all those years in uh, in Egypt and with all that luxury and power he had, he always remembered this isn't where we're meant to be. Canaan is the promised land we've been given. And we ought to remember the same as well. Let's be those who have had uh, Christ's uh, saving words uh, and and work uh, before us. And we remember his words that he said, If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to be with me. You know, they had a box of bones to look at, a coffin in Egypt. We have something better an empty tomb we know christ died and rose again therefore he will come again so people of hope be encouraged by the testimony of joseph and his trust in the lord as well and uh, follow his good example let's close our service by singing god sent his